Lord Jesus, uh, I am grateful for how you have already made your presence known this morning. I pray that you would continue to do so. Lord, as we come and we, we look at the, the basics of our faith this morning, may you be lifted up and glorified. Lord, may I decrease and may you increase. And may your people be better for it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been walking through uh, the basics of our faith. Fall is that time of getting back to the basics. School is starting. All kinds of new things are starting. Uh, and so about a month ago, we started looking at it and going, what are the basics of our faith? What are the foundations of what we believe in this church? Uh, so we have been using our statement of faith. There's 11 statements that our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, have put forth and said these are kind of the, the bare minimum, the irreducible minimum of what it takes to follow Jesus in the way that he's revealed it to us. And so we're just walking through each statement of faith and kind of breaking it down. And if you've been with us for any of these, some of these can get a little wordy. Uh, and I don't want you to get scared off by that. Uh, we'll take some time and break them down. Uh, but many of us are intimidated by theology. And I think I've talked about this every week, that even that word means, but aren't there like theologians out there? And people where this is their whole job and they write really thick, super dry, boring books about it. But the truth is we all have a theology. Theology literally just means the study of God. We all have beliefs about who God is and who he's called us to be. The question is, are we clear on what our beliefs are? And so that's my intent as we walk through these is to make it as clear as possible. Here's the foundational truths, the theology or another scary word, the doctrines that kind of bind us together, the things that we believe in common. Does that make sense, church? Okay. Some of you are like, yes, and you've said it five times now. And I'll keep saying it. So last week, uh, Brian introduced our fourth statement of faith. Uh, and as I was looking through, uh, there, again, there's 11 statements. I thought, I don't want to move on from this one yet. Uh, in all of our statement of faiths, a lot of things are repeated or touched on again. Our first statement of faith, you remember, talked about the infiniteness of God and the perfection of God and the Trinity, that God is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct persons, yet one at the same time. And then our second one was going, so let's bring up that person of Jesus and let's really flesh that out. And then the third one was the Holy Spirit and let's really flesh that out. The, the things tend to get repeated and touched on again and again. But our fourth statement, this is kind of the only place where it was mentioned. And so I wanted to make sure that we weren't rushing past it. Brian shared last week on this fourth statement, it's the foundational nature of the word of God. The, the word of God is so foundational to who we are as believers in Jesus, but it's only mentioned this one time, and so I really wanted to really camp out and make sure that we don't miss anything on it. You read this last week with Brian. The Old and New Testaments, inerrant as originally given, it's okay, we'll get to it, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. You guys got it? Ready to move on? Again, some of these are wordy, and some of these words we go, yeah, I don't use that one every day, and they can get a little intimidating. And so what I want to do is just really slow down and just break down each part and begin to walk through it. This statement, the, the importance of the word of God and its authority in our lives, it's like a Jenga piece. You guys ever played Jenga? You try to pull the piece out without the whole thing falling? Yeah, this one is shaped like a square, not a, a, it's the entire base. You pull this piece out, I don't care how careful you are, the entire thing crumbles. That's how important understanding the authority of the word of God is. If we miss this one, everything else falls apart because what are we basing all of our beliefs on? The word of God. If we don't have an understanding of the authority of the word of God, we will miss all of the rest of these. Does this make sense, church? So let's start to break this down a little bit. The Old and New Testaments, as errant, or excuse me, inerrant as originally given. Real quick, I want to make sure we're very clear on what the Old and New Testament is. Some of you, when someone handed you a Bible, they probably just go, here you go, it's the Bible, read it, it's good. And that was, for many of us, our introduction 
into the scriptures, but then you start reading it and you realize it's almost like there's two different books smashed together here. And you, and you find this Old Testament and New Testament. How many of us talk about testaments in our daily life? Anyone? Anyone used this word in the last week when you weren't talking about the Bible? Me neither. It's a weird word, and actually it's not a, a biblical word, testament. You won't find testament anywhere in the scriptures. What it is, is it's a Latin word. The, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, mainly. Ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew, and at one point, it was translated into Latin because that was kind of the English of the day. Anywhere you went in the world, most people spoke Latin, at least the educated ones. And so it was translated into Latin. And this word testament is a Latin word. Really what it means is covenant. Anyone use covenant this week when you weren't talking about the Bible? Me neither. But you will at least find that word in the scriptures. And so a, a more accurate way to talk about the Old and New Testament is to say the Old and New Covenant. Real quick, what is a covenant? There's a new believer, you just handed them the Bible, and they went Old Testament, New Testament, you went, actually, it's covenant, and they went, cool, what is that? How would you explain it to them? What is a covenant? It's like, it's like a, a binding contract. Okay, a binding contract. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're, we're simplifying. That's okay. A binding contract. What else? How would you describe a covenant? It's a definition of a relationship. Okay. A definition of a relationship. Here, here's the parts we're going to play in this. Here's your part. Here's my part. Okay. An agreement. An agreement. Where else do we see covenants made? Where else is that word used? It's the Old Testament, the New Testament. A marriage. We talk about a marriage covenant. And a marriage covenant is both a contract, a definition of relationship, here's my part, here's your part, a promise that we're making to one another. And so the old covenant and the new covenant was God's contract, promise, definition of relationships with his people, the, the Israelites, that's the Old Testament, and then a new covenant through Jesus with the church. And so the book is divided into God's old covenant. Originally, God said, I'm going to found this nation Israel, and they're going to be my people. And he comes up with this covenant. Here's the things I promise to do for you. Here's the things you need to do in response. If you do them, this is how I will bless you. If you don't do them, these are the consequences of that. And so the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is that relationship playing out. How did that work out for the people of Israel? Anyone know offhand? Bad. Bad. Didn't go great. God kind of looked at it and went, okay, we got to rethink this. Because not only, like, they're not choosing to live up to their end of the, the arrangement, I don't know that they're capable of it. And so he said, I'm going to make a new covenant instead. I'm going to make a new way to have relationship instead through his son Jesus. And we're going to look at this. In our next two statements of faith, they deal directly with this new covenant. But in case you've ever gone, okay, Old Testament, New Testament, what does that even mean? It's God's old way of dealing with people, and they just kept failing again and again. The new covenant is God going, I can't watch this anymore. I'm going to come and do it for you. I'm going to come and live perfectly for you. I'm going to make the sacrifice for you and have this new way of meeting with him. Does that make sense? Okay, just trying to define some terms here. Here's another one, inerrant. Anyone use that this week? Oh, Theo put his hand up. I was like, really? Oh. What does the word inerrant mean? Without error. Without error. Okay, same root word, error. Inerrant, if you go to Webster's Dictionary, literally means incapable of being wrong. So what he's saying, uh, what we're saying here in this statement of faith is that this book, both Old Testament and New, both Old Covenant and New Covenant are incapable of being wrong. That's a bold statement, yes? You start to see why this is such a foundational doctrine, a foundational understanding, because here's the thing, if one verse in this book is wrong, if God missed it on one verse, if God lied on one verse, if God was wrong one time, 
What happens to the rest of it? It's all useless. If he made one mistake, guess what? He can make a lot more. If there's one thing in here that is not absolutely trustworthy and reliable, the whole thing gets thrown out. Think about in a relationship that you have, you find out that someone has lied to you. What do you immediately start doing? Where else have they lied to me? What about this time and this time? Were they lying then? And we start to question everything. And you have grounds to question it. If there is one error in here, one time that God just whiffed on it and oh, he said this, but then he went back on his word or he, whatever it is, the entire thing gets thrown out. This is a massive understanding. The inerrancy of scripture, it is incapable of being wrong. But hear this. Inerrant as originally given. That's a very important thing. Because what version of Bible do we have in the room today? Somebody just shout out. If you brought a Bible, what version is it? HCSB, NIV, NASB, ESV. Guess what? All of those are going to use different words, right? And they might even put some things in different order. And they're going to say things in different ways. Uh-oh, we have a problem, don't we? Does that mean one of them's right and one of them's wrong? And what do we... Here's the thing we have to understand. The Bible is without error, incapable of being wrong in its original language. How many of you speak 2,000-year-old ancient Greek? Any takers? Me neither. Like not a single bit, none. But when God spoke the word into being, which we'll talk about here in a minute, he spoke it in Hebrew and in Greek. The problem is what we're trying to do is bring a 2,000-year-old dead language or ancient Hebrew, which is even older, and bring it into common day English. Think of how English has changed this month. How many of you heard something, whether on TV and a song, or man, you talked with somebody who is below 20, and you went, are people saying that now? Is that a word? What does that even mean? Some of you are old like me, or some of you are even older. Have you found yourself sometime in the last month saying, is that what the kids say now? <laughs> like, like, I talk to my kids, and I finally go, wait, what does that mean? Like, I used to be hip and cool. English is changing so often, just in the last month or few months. Think of it over the last hundred years. 200, 400 years. And so we have these different English translations that are trying to take a dead language and put it in a way that we can understand. And they go about it in different ways. Some have a, a much higher reading level than others. Some are just more concerned with like, how do we get the, the intent, the idea of the passage to them? Some are more concerned with being as literal as possible. Who cares if it's readable? Like, so we have all of these different approaches and it's easy to point out and go, uh-oh, they say different things. But what this is saying is the original manuscripts, the original writings were perfect, were without error. So can we trust those original manuscripts? Because again, can you read them? I can't read them. How do we know we can trust those original manuscripts? Does that question make sense? Do you guys understand what I mean when I say original manuscripts? Okay, how do we know that we can trust those? I think this was discussed a little bit last week as well. Okay, because it's God breathed. We have the promise in here that, that God breathed it to us, and that's our starting point. But how do we know that what we have is what God actually breathed? Heidi, were you going to say something or today? Uh, sort of. I think you have to start with God. You have to philosophically get to God first, and all scriptures going to be somewhat based on God. Yeah. So you can't prove God from Yeah. It has to start, like she was saying, there, there's always an element of faith involved. Do I believe 
and, and listen, this is a silly question when you really think about it. Do I believe God can write a book? We're not even getting into, can God create the heavens and the earth? And can, do I believe that God can write a book? Okay, we have to answer yes or no to that. Do I believe that God can preserve, safeguard that book? Seems pretty small compared to some of the other questions we're asking. Can God raise the dead? Can God heal the sick? Can God, can God write a book? We have to, if your answer is no on that, we're already going to have some problems. It starts with an element of faith. Do I believe that God is knowable, that God wants to be known, and that God made himself known through his word? Then you can start to get into, like Heidi was saying, when it comes to how do we kind of tell if an ancient document is trustworthy, there is more evidence that the scripture is trustworthy than any other ancient document, like by a, magna, or a magnitude of 10. We have so many ancient documents, like copies of the copies of the copies of the copies, written within a decade, not centuries later, and how do we, like written in the time that the original author was still alive, and we have multiple copies to compare. It is, a, it is as trustworthy a book as any ancient document can be. Like she said, if we, if we can trust that any ancient document says what it says, the Bible is that book. There, there's nothing more trustworthy from a scientific uh, perspective than our ancient manuscripts, than those books. It is inerrant as it is originally given. So let me ask this question. What about the times that the Bible seems to contradict itself? What do we do with those times? We've all heard it, right? You've heard people say, well, the Bible is just full of contradictions. What do we as, as believers do with those contradictions? How do you handle them? So, so ma many of what people will point at and say, isn't this a contradiction, is more just going, hey, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God's old way of dealing with people, he did it this way. But in the New Covenant, he seems to do it this way. Uh-oh, don't those contradict each other? Does that mean that God changed? Because his word clearly says he's never changing. And they go, uh-oh, the, the Old Covenant, God's old way of dealing with people and his new way don't seem to match up. Which, I mean, there's a pretty simple explanation for it, and it's the definition of the word old and the word new. Seems to make a little more sense. But many of it isn't necessarily a contradiction. It's more, I don't see how these two things go together. I, I don't understand how in the Old Testament, God did this, but in the New Testament, he did that. How, how God said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but then Jesus come and said, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I say we're done with that. I say bless those who curse you and go, uh-oh, those don't match up. Many times what, what people call contradictions is just us going, I don't understand how God could do that, which is a very reasonable thing. God is so far beyond us. There's many times we look at it and we go, I don't get it. I don't understand. That's not how I would do it. That's not. But those are different from, is, did God lie? Um, uh, is, is there error in his word? Most often it's simply, a, I don't understand. Or, or, or sometimes you have where like Paul talks about, it's by grace you have been saved. 
not of yourself, not of works, nothing you can do to earn it. It's purely grace. But then you have James that says, faith without works is dead. dead. If if you don't have works, you don't actually have faith. And we go, "Uh uh-oh, is it by grace or is it by works? Which one is it? And as you start to read, there's a, a practice called reading scripture in light of scripture which means I'm, I'm going to understand scripture based on what other passages have to say about that. I'm going to try to get the full picture. I'm not just going to guess what the puzzle is by looking at a single piece. I'm going to go find what else goes around it. And you start to realize that actually Paul and James, for instance, are saying the same thing. It is by grace that we have been saved, that we enter into faith. But if that faith isn't producing change, isn't producing good works in us, then did we ever actually receive the grace? They're actually, it's two sides of the same coin. They're, they're both having the same argument. But you can pull a verse out here and a verse out here and go, uh-oh, they don't agree with each other. And so a lot of times it's actually just having a patient understanding and going, I'm going to take the time to read what else the scripture has to say about this and try to get a full picture. Does that make sense, church? Okay. We talked couple weeks ago, when we were talking about the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does, one of the the jobs that he performs in the life of a believer is to illuminate scripture, to bring scripture to light. And so there's a lot of this where we have to sit with the Holy Spirit and go, I don't understand it. Would you teach me what it means? And he will bring up other passages of scripture. He will bring other believers that you can talk with who are going to go, you know, I had the same question myself, and I found this over here that really sheds some light on that, that really helped me understand it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give us understanding if we will wait on him. If we will say, I believe your word is without error, and I don't see how these two things go together, would you, would you teach me? Would you show me? Does that make sense? Okay. Man, I could keep talking about this for too long, but we will never get to the rest of it. The Old and New Testaments, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God. That, that really comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle Paul talking to his friend Timothy, and he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, does that God-breathed mean that uh, Paul was sitting alone in a room and God was going, now write this, Paul. Oh, Paul, that's supposed to be a comma, not a period, Paul. Like, oh, no, Paul, do this. And he heard this audible voice and was just dictating it. Is that what that means? No. It means that the Holy Spirit inside the biblical authors was leading them to write exactly as God would have them. Uh, Again, you guys looked at this passage last week. 2 Peter 1.21 No prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It it was not these guys sitting alone in a room and just writing out their best thoughts, and we went, hey, that's as good as anything. We'll call it Bible. Nor was it a book just falling from heaven and God going, here, I wrote it all down for you. But it's this unique partnership of God going, I'm going to use these men to write down the words that I have for my church And listen, each one is unique. You can tell when you're reading one of Paul's letters versus when you're reading one of Peter's. If you read Matthew, it's not the same as Mark. It's not the same as Luke. It's not the same as John. They each have their own personality. God didn't just like take them over and they were robots. He used their unique perspective, the unique questions they were answering in their times to get his word across. But it was his Holy Spirit leading those men. Does that make sense, church? So the word was verbally inspired. It was was God speaking to his people through the apostles, through the prophets and the kings back in the Old Testament. The Old and New Testament, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. Again, we're going to talk about what his will for the salvation of men is in the coming weeks. I'm not going to dive too deep into that. And Brian covered this one uh, last week. So again, I'm not going to jump in too much. But essentially saying everything we need to find our way into loving relationship with our Savior is found in these pages. If you were shipwrecked and marooned on an island and all you had was the Bible, you had no knowledge of who Jesus was or that God had ever written a book, but all you had was this book, and you read through it, you would have everything you need to come into loving relationship with him. 
I love, many of you know Steve Tony, his story of coming to faith in Christ. I said before, you know, for a lot of us, it's because we had someone who went, I got to invite them. I got to, Steve didn't really have that story of somebody leading him to Jesus. Steve thought, well, this has been a bestseller for as long as there's been a bestseller list. I should probably read it. And in his parents' basement, one summer, read through the Bible. And by the time he got to the end, he went, it's got to be true. He got to Revelation 3.20 where it says, behold, he knocks on the door. Who's going to answer? Like, come in that he would eat with him and meet with them. Like, Steve read that and he was so moved simply by the words of Scripture that he came into relationship with Jesus. Everything needed to understand God's will for the salvation of men, mankind, not gender men. The salvation for everyone is found in these books. There is nothing new that can be added. There is no, okay, yeah, it says that in here, but now you need to write this church a really big check if you really want to be in. God put a period at the end of this. This is everything they need to know to come into loving relationship with me. Nothing can be added to that plan. You start to get all kinds of other weird religions that have come up and went, oh, hey, God just told me last night this brand new thing, and now you have to do this and this and this too. The scripture is very clear. Nothing is to be added. Everything we need to come into loving relationship with Jesus is found in this book. We will talk more about what that plan is later. But this doesn't mean that God is done speaking to his people. Like, we have to understand that. It doesn't mean God has nothing else to say. What it means is there's, no, there's nothing that can be added to the plan. There's no new information that way. God's not all of a sudden going to come up and go, oh, and by the way, I'm a tyrant. I actually love evil, and I, those things will never change. But God calls himself a father, but then to each of us, he wants to reveal to us what that really looks like in our life. And so he will speak to us through his word, through times of prayer, through times of worship, through times when we gather together and somebody else has a word of encouragement for us. God is still speaking and revealing himself to us. He will never speak or reveal anything that goes against what he's already revealed, though. This book is closed. Can't be added to, will not be changed. God will not come out now with some new thing that he said, yeah, I know I said right, but now I want you to go left. Sin in this book is sin today. How to, to live a righteous life as described in this book is how it is to be lived today. It will look different in culture and that's where the Holy Spirit will lead us through those things. But God is never going to tell any of you, yeah, I want you to divorce your wife because you're not happy. So go try again with someone new. It, God told me that. No, he didn't. God told me that it was okay to cheat on my taxes because they're not using the money in the way that I want it to be used. No, he didn't. He's already been clear on those and he will never go back on what he shared. Is this making sense, church? There's a lot of silence in the room. Yes. yes, okay. The Old and New Testament, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. The Bible is the ultimate authority for every believer. Again, this is what tells us what it is to follow Jesus. And like I just said, he will never go against it. This is the authority. Are we allowed to do that? Well, nope. Yep, he loves when we do that, whatever it is. This is what leads us in those times. Culture is constantly changing. The things that culture allows or the things that culture frowns on are constantly changing. The only divine rule for Christian faith and practice is the scriptures. Because this is the only thing we know without a doubt God will never go against. How much time is God calling you to spend on social media? I don't know. It doesn't say. It's going to be different for you than it is for me. Again, is God calling me to cheat on my wife? No. I know without a doubt that he is not. This is the only divine rule for Christian faith. And practice. This is that Jenga piece where if that comes out and we go, well, yeah, the Bible says it, but I think God might be telling me something different, the whole thing just came crumbling down. We stand on the word of God or we fall. 
It's the only divine rule for Christian faith and practice. Paul says this, back to that 2 Timothy 3.16. All all scripture is God-breathed. Let's look at it in context here. Timothy was dealing with some difficult things. There There was people coming in and teaching in the church, and they were trying to change the message of scripture. And they were trying to deceive people and tell them, no, 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 God, God said do this and try to draw people over there. And here's Paul's advice to his son in the faith, Timothy. Evil people and imposters will come, will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. You know those who taught you and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are available to give you wisdom for the salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. That's a different translation saying that God breathed. Inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He doesn't say, Timothy, just do the best you can and whatever feels right in the moment, do that. He says, Timothy, people are coming and they're gonna tell you this and they're gonna tell you that and your church is gonna try to be pulled in all of these directions. Stand firm on the word of God, the sacred scriptures you've known since you were a boy and you will find yourself, like I love the teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. There's this course correction that's constantly happening because they say this or I wanna do this, but the scripture says no. The, The scripture calls me to be this and not to be that. There's this course correcting so that the man of God, now again, this is the people of God. Paul was just talking to his son, Timothy. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word, good work, only when we stand firmly on the book. Does this make sense, church? Yes. Do you see how pivotal this is? If we lose this, we lose everything. So let me ask this question, because this is something people struggle with. We go, okay, all scripture, God breathed, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness. So, so scripture is there to tell us how to live, right? To tell us, we, we, if you were here two weeks ago, Todd Sobine was speaking, and he said that we're to become like Jesus in character and priorities, right? We're supposed to look like him, live the way that he would live, and prioritize life the way that he would prioritize life. Yes? Okay, so what do we do with, back to a question we had before, the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because doesn't the Old Testament tell us to live in a completely different way? It tells us to interact with our neighbors in a very different way. You'll find some passages in Scripture in the Old Testament that say, get yourself ready and go to war. And then you'll find the New Testament where it says, no, 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 we bless, we don't curse. How do we put these things together? Does that mean one of them's right and one of them's wrong? Does that mean we have to find some kind of blend between the two and this one you take seriously, but not that one? How do we begin to put these things together? What do we do with the Old Testament rules and practices? It's fun stuff, guys. Okay, she said uh, what her initial phrase, learn from the old, follow the new. Okay, there's, there's a lot of stories we can learn from the things they got right and even the th- things they got wrong in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, the new covenant is our covenant. Okay. What else? What do we do with those things? We can't chuck them, right? Because all scripture, old and new covenant is God breathed, Right. When Paul said all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, a lot of the New Testament wasn't written yet. So he was talking about the Old Testament. What do do we do with it? How, How do we reconcile it? Yeah, you don't have to raise a hand. You can just shout out. Yeah, first of all, is understanding like most, especially of the New Testament, 
and all of the Old Testament that I can think of right now wasn't written to a single person, but was, remember we've talked about this before, we read you in scripture and most of us think me, most of the yous in scripture are y'all. And so it's writing to a group of people in dealing with something. Okay, here's a really helpful maybe filter to help you understand this. The Old and the New Testament, they're equally authoritative, but not equally applicable. What I mean by that is this. God spoke the Old Testament into being, but it was for a specific people at a specific time. It was for the nation of Israel and how they as a nation were to deal with the nations around them. But what's it, what word is it called? The what covenant? The what testament? Old covenant and Old Testament. There is so much that we can learn about the character of God about when people actually follow him and we can watch the stories of when they don't. That doesn't mean God is calling us to go to war with our neighbors. For that time and in that place, that's how God was calling his people to live in the world. But now we have a new covenant, both authoritative, both spoken by God, but only one of them is applicable to us. It actually gets really messy and dangerous when people start taking Old Testament rules and practices and promises and bringing them into the New Testament. I'll tell you this, and this might be controversial for some of you, and you can talk to me afterwards. I think it's super duper weird that we have the Ten Commandments in our courthouses and that we as Christians fight to keep the Ten Commandments in our courthouses because we as Christians are not called to live by the Ten Commandments. What did Jesus say was the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wouldn't that make more sense for us to fight to have in our courthouses, for us to fight to have on our lawns? When you bring the Old Testament into it and the the Ten Commandments, things can start to get messy because then what other parts need to come in with it? and, And it can get real messy. Here's how the author of Hebrews talks about the Old Covenant. And he's trying to compare the two because he's talking to a Hebrew people, a Jewish people who were coming out of the old covenant and trying to figure out how do we fit into the new covenant. And here's what he tells them. Speaking of Jesus says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, the, the old covenant, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises for if There had been nothing wrong with the first covenant. No place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is in the old covenant, looking forward to the new one. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And then this is the author of Hebrews. By calling the covenant new... He has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. He was actually telling these Hebrew people, grew up with the Jewish law, they knew the stories, they had them all memorized, and he was telling them the laws, the ways of of interacting with God and interacting with people that the old covenant told you to use are obsolete and outdated. And they will soon pass away because God is doing a new thing. No longer fight your enemy, now bless your enemy. And so things get messy when we start reading the Old Testament going, oh, I guess I should do that, and I guess I should do that. Again, we can learn from the stories, the faithfulness of the people of God who followed him despite the circumstances and stood for him no matter how many came against them. We can learn from their faith, but we are never called to practice what they practice. Does that make sense? Equally authoritative, not equally applicable. The Old and New Testaments that Aaron has originally given were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. They constitute the divine and only rule 
of Christian faith and practice. Most of us would agree with that statement now, right? You fully understand it, you've grasped it, and we would give it a thumbs up and say yes, right? Kim would. Cool. So why do we actually struggle to spend time with God and his word? We would say it's foundational. We would say it's authoritative. We would say it's the only rule for Christian faith and practice. Yet every time I talk to a believer and I say, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus going? What's the first thing they tell me every single time? What do you think? What would you tell me? I'm not reading my Bible as much as I should. I mean, if we really believe this, why do we struggle so much? We would say it's foundational. Everything comes from this. Yet, okay, so are you in that word? Oh, no, I don't have time. Why do we struggle with it so much? This is a time when you can actually talk. Heidi? I think it's just simply hard to read. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, so here's the thing. Really quickly, I've, I've talked to this before, and if you've never heard it, there's this continuum that English translations, there's over 70 English translations. There's this continuum that they're on from literal to paraphrase. Some of them are so literal, it's the ancient Greek, we just switched the words out, which means the sentence structure is super weird, and it's almost unreadable. For, for us as 21st century Americans. But then there's like the message, which the message will tell you when you read it, this is not a translation. They didn't read the Greek and go, okay, let's translate things over. It was a guy named Eugene Peterson who went, let me paraphrase it. Let, let me put it, the cookies on the lowest shelf possible and just make it as easy to read as possible. But it's his words, not God's words. And so there's this continuum that, that translations are on and so some of them go, yeah, let's make it more readable and we'll give up not accuracy in terms of God said don't lie and they're going to change it to God said lying is fine. But we're not going to go, did we get every single word? They're going, did we get the heart of what was being said? And some that are far more literal. And so we do have to make the decision. Where, where am I on that continuum? Here has been my stance. The best translation of the Bible is the one you will actually read. I would rather you read the message every day compared to nothing. And I love a verse of the day that comes up on your phone and somebody texts you, but here's the thing, that is not enough. You don't eat one bite of food a day and call yourself full, do you? It's the same thing. We need to be in the word of God, understanding the word of God, interacting with him through his word. Why else do we struggle? Part of it is that, am I reading the right translation? Or the one that I'm reading, it's pretty accurate, but that also means it's pretty hard to read. So, oh, oh no, and we kind of quit. We give up, it's too difficult. Why else? <laughs> Maybe because I already know what's in there and I really don't want to be reminded right now. Okay, that's a true answer. Rhonda, what were you going to say? Satan. Yeah, the word of God is the best weapon we have against the enemy. Sometimes we don't want to hear what it says because we don't really want to fight the enemy. Or sometimes we're just so tired that we go, I can't, like, I'm so tired I can't even pick up my sword. Okay, again, a very real answer. say this as a joke, but kind of true, and then I'll actually address your real thing. Ask your wife on those days if she thinks you get what it says. She's going to be like, why don't you read it again? Maybe. Like, that's for all of us. Okay, but I, I actually, I really, uh, I understand where Tim is coming from. I struggle with the same thing. I hate rereading something. And so every couple years, I get a new Bible. 
one that's not, I, I mark and highlight and I write in the margins and you do all the thing, but then when I come back to read it again, it's easy to skip over some things or go, yeah, 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 I know. So I get a new Bible and every 10 years, I change translations because my brain can't just gloss over it anymore because it's not the same word anymore or it's in a little bit of a different order and it forces me to go, oh, hey, wait, and, and I tune in. And sometimes just hearing something said in a different way can kind of like, spark your imagination or go, oh, I never thought about it that way. Some things I read as if Jesus was frustrated, but then sometimes I listen to the Bible app and the guy reads it and Jesus is actually being super compassionate and going, you of little faith, like, oh, my heart is breaking for you. And I go, oh, I always thought he was angry. And so trying it in different ways, different formats, like they can help to keep it fresh because I'm with you. I struggle to read the same thing again and again. The, the one most, oh, here's the one, here's the thing. When I teach you, there's a couple different translations that I use, and it's typically whichever is the clearest on that passage. Um, the Holman Christian Standard Bible is one that I read personally, and that is a, for me, I found a good balance between literal but readable. I am not a great reader. You can actually look online and find the uh, grade reading levels for different Bible translations. The ESV, which Heidi, I think you mentioned, is an 11th grade reading level. The uh, NIV, for instance, is an eighth grade reading level. Guess which one I'm more comfortable with. <laughs> so I've tried the ESV. I have one over there, and I just kept reading it and going, like, I would just get lost. It, it, it didn't speak my language, for lack of a better term. And so it's a great translation, but it, I struggled to read it, and so I went with a different one, one that was more readable to me. So to, to try those things out, the, the NIV is a very popular one. It's, again, on that shifts a little more toward that readable versus uh, complete literal translation. Um, so those are kind of the ones that I tend to use. Um, the NASB, which somebody else said, I think, Jennifer, is another one of those, I think, 10th or 11th grade reading levels, which some of you are going to be perfectly comfortable with. Some of you are going to struggle with those, and so find one that's a little more readable. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Okay. I, have I done enough where God's going to leave me alone? Yeah, like, yeah. Back right. Right. Two, two different things from what Kim is saying there. First of all, one is, was a really good point that she kind of like made, moved on from. But how many of you had somebody teach you how to read the Bible? Very few hands compared to the number of people in the room. Most of us don't read the Bible because we don't know how. I did a poll, and it was probably eight years ago, of people in the church. I, I reached out to about 40 different people that were like leaders in the church or whatever, and I said, how many of you did someone teach you how to read the Bible? Two of them said, yes, someone taught me how to read the Bible. Everyone else said no, and there was always this little thing that said no, and I'm pretty sure I'm doing it wrong. Some of these were elders. Some of these had been on governing board for years and years. Some of them were leading Sunday school classes. And there was always this, I think I'm doing it wrong. I think there's this, like, these secrets that everyone else knows that I don't know. And part of it is we've done a really bad job with discipling people. 
We've gone, read your Bible and feel guilty when you don't. And then we leave. We've not really said, and let me show you what that looks like for me. Let me teach you how I read the Bible. Let me show you what works for me. It might not work for you, but at least it gives you a starting place. We, we've missed this fundamental piece of discipleship. And what we're left with is guilt. Because everyone's going, even when I do it, I don't think I'm doing it right. So is it even worth doing? And we quit. And then he preaches on the Bible. And we're like, oh, I suck at that. Come on. Like, most of us have never been taught how. And that is a shame. If you're in there, like I'm putting myself up there, I will gladly sit down with you and we will do quiet times together. I have no, here's a checklist for you. I'm just going to show you how I read the Bible and go, if that's helpful, cool. If not, there's some other people I'm going to point to you, point you to who do it in different ways and it works for them. So that's a piece of it. But the other part is we're not in it truly because we don't really believe. Chris, will you put that statement up there for me? We don't really believe it. Kind of like James was saying, faith without works is dead. If the faith you say you have isn't actually changing the way you live, do you really have the faith? If we look at this statement and we go, yeah, I believe it, but I don't ever actually do it, then guess what? We don't really believe it. And I don't say that to shame you. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say that so that we can really look at ourselves because the first step is realizing I don't believe what I think I should. And then it's going, God, would you help me? Would you change me? I want to end uh, with Jeremiah 29, 13. I'm going to ask the music team to come up as I close with this. We have great promises in the scripture if we truly read them and believe them. And this one just speaks to my heart so much. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you're in a spot here this morning where you're going, I just struggle to read the Bible. I don't know how. I always feel guilty. I just don't have the want to right now. My question is, with everything that you have, I'm not saying you should be doing it like you've been doing it for 40 years, but with where you are today, are you willing to seek the Lord with all your heart? Lord, whatever you call me to do, that's what I want to do. I don't know how, I don't even know what that, whatever it is, but my heart desires for your will to be done in my life. If you will place yourself there, you will meet the Lord because he always says yes to what he promised. And he promises that when his people seek him and seek him with all of their hearts, he will be found. Most often, it will be in his word. But are you willing to seek him with everything you have to do the hard work of trying to interact with him in his word? David, last word? A more literal translation, since we're using that word so much today, would be when you seek me with every part of your heart that you can. He's not going, go clean up the house and then invite me in. He's going, look, with whatever you're aware of, if you'll seek me with it. And then he's going to point out, hey, you're, you're still holding this piece back from me and we have to work through it. But just going, Lord, today with everything I have available to me, I want your will to be done. I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. Right now, today, he will be found by people that that's their heart.